The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. And welcome to the Offspin, the spin-offs Cricket World Cup podcast, brought to you by Coffee Supreme, as always. And we have a very, very cool episode coming up today. But just quickly, I'd just like to offer some congratulations to the last guests who came on the podcast, uh, MPs Chris Bishop and Kieran McAnulty. Since they came on our show, Chris Bishop has been promoted into the National Party Shadow Cabinet. And Kieran McAnulty's MP that he runs against in Wairarapa has announced he's retiring. So I'm not saying that it's our podcast that has revitalized their political careers, but I think we shouldn't rule out the possibility that that's exactly what's happened here. Making and breaking careers. Indeed, indeed. And today we've got an episode that my co-host Simon Day has done a magnificent job setting up. And it's, it's really about making and breaking careers as well because he has been talking to someone who really had a moment at a cricket world cup which which has been career defining for him ever since it happened i think and and from a place of not necessarily being in you know in that top echelon of cricketers and new zealanders so simon day good morning how are you what's funny for you to describe that moment in 2015 when Grant Elliott won the semi-final with that six as making his career, because I think he's only played one more game for New Zealand after that, which was the final. And it's it's a it's a great story for your, you know, he was not that well known in the New Zealand cricket uh, environment until that moment. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's what I mean by... Um Maybe not so much making or breaking career, but career-defining, as it were, because even though he only played a very small amount of cricket for New Zealand afterwards, my understanding is that he played a bit more itinerant T20 stuff uh, in sort of the Caribbean, Bangladesh, perhaps, I'm not quite sure. But the point is, is that he will do one of the rare things for any athlete, I think, and have a moment that will live forever in the sporting consciousness of New Zealand. And so few athletes get to say that they have done that. And for Grant Elliott, he probably seemed like a very unlikely candidate before the World Cup to be the guy that would have, you know, the moment of it. And yet here we are, it's four years later, and we are still very much talking about it. He was very honest about it as well. He, um... He didn't expect to be to be there. He mm. uh, well, he wasn't in the nineteen, uh, the long list squad of nineteen before the tournament, was he? No, until until he was named in January, he thought he was going to be injury cover. Uh, you'll hear in the interview later. But he actually um, said to his sister, "Oh, yeah, I'll be able to attend your wedding," which was on the day of the World Cup final. No way! Mm. Wow. 
So, okay, so like I said, Simon Day has set up a very, very cool uh, sort of audio feature for today's episode. Can well, you tell Grant, us? Can you tell us a bit about what what you and Grant have done today? Well, so Grant to me represents a really huge moment in the transition of New Zealand's World Cup cricket performances. We have won the second most games in the World Cup of any team with mm. fifty one victories, and that's behind Australia's 60, 67. But until twenty fifteen. We'd never made the final, and this had really hung over us, hung over me personally. Uh, I'd, I'd, uh, I hate to repeat myself, but I just have to go on about 1992. The, that semi-final loss broke me, and I was searching for that uh, moment for 23 years. And Grant finally gave it to us in one of the most dramatic ways possible. So. What I did today, I put on the same kit that I wore to that game, Glenn Turner's old 90s woolen cricket vest, and I returned to the scene, back to Eden Park with Grant, to talk about that shot, to talk about his life after cricket, and also his pyjamas. And just a quick note, I've received a little bit of constructive criticism from listeners that I'm prone to making the two the podcast too much about myself despite mm, um, mm. the wonderful high profile guests that we've been getting in and I thought seeing as Grant's probably the most high profile cricketer we've got so far I've actually doubled down on the narcissism <laughs> uh, fuck the haters this is about me as much as it as it is about Grant Elliott all right I'm gonna pour myself some coffee supreme and let's have a listen to that interview right now Elliot on strike So I'm standing here on the Eden Park concourse with Grant Elliott beneath uh, the Southern Stand where I sat with my grandmother during the 1992 uh, semi-final hosted at Eden Park where I first became the deep cricket fan that I am now and Nzamamu Huck broke my heart but from that moment I was grabbed by the New Zealand cricket team and the roller coaster ride that that, that embodies and that ride peaked uh, 23 years later in March 2015. Do you remember the exact date, Grant? Uh, no, not too sure what the exact date was. Not, not long before your birthday, I don't think. I think it was after my birthday. I think it was after my birthday. And that time I was sitting in the front row of the Eastern Stand, where I should be at that sort of point in my life, the, the former terraces, and my life was changed forever when uh, Grant Elliott pulled Dale Stane into the into the stand for six and New Zealand went to their first Cricket World Cup and those those demons from 1992 were finally taken away from me and my grandma and so much of the rest of the New Zealand cricketing public and you know it, it probably was one of the greatest moments of my life after getting married I actually had to promise my wife to love her more than I love cricket and in, in my wedding vows how does it feel to have had such a a big impact on on New Zealand that night. It's the best thing is people tell you where they were during that moment. So I think you know, given the the time zone, it was obviously at home. So everyone's kind of like watching the TV and remembers where they were and what a great moment it was to go into the first ever final. But I think the the most satisfying thing for me is is to see the the look on you know your teammates' faces 
and have that relief that you've done your job because I didn't want to be the guy stuck there at the end having not won it. I think that that's something that which would have haunted me for the rest of my life. You know, what if I'd done X, Y, and Z? So, you know, great to, to in a team sport to be able to get over the line for that and see how much it meant for not only the team but also the, the crowd that was here. We're going to walk and talk around this beautiful, beautiful, weird-shaped uh, rugby field that sometimes uses a cricket ground and sort of think back to that uh, summer of 2015. In January, Grant, when you were first called up to the team, were you as surprised as me? Um, yeah, well, I was told I wasn't going to be in the squad, so I was told that I was going to be a um, sort of... Uh, cover for injury and so I was comfortable with that and um, played really well in the Wellington for Wellington in the T20 comp and then all of a sudden came in as a as everyone sort of described as a bolter. And you were 35 years old at the time I'm 34 do you think it's too late for me to maybe make the New Zealand cricket team? (laughs) It's never too late. (laughs) Well I, I do believe in the 10,000 hours, so you've got to find 10,000 hours somewhere of training. I, I've, I've spent 10,000 hours watching cricket. I'm not sure if that's the same uh, thing, but you know, I've, I've invested a lot, of, a lot of time and effort in the sport, and it's progressively starting to give back to me a little bit more uh, as this New Zealand team finds some wonderful consistency. That tournament, though, really sort of, was the peak of um, some solid development under Brendan's captaincy. It just looked like so much fun, those, those, that month and a half. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. And because it was in New Zealand, obviously, you know, for us, we had the crowd behind us, especially after Kane got us over the line against Australia here at Eden Park. When he hit that six, all of a sudden it felt like the whole nation was behind us as a team. And Brendan obviously captained it fantastically well. And um, he, he captained it in a way where he made sure that guys were enjoying it. And I think it really did show the, the way that we played the game on the field. So it was, it was a great time. And it was an awesome lesson of how a team should operate together. Um, you know, for those young guys now, to take that into business, to take that into to life um, and also every team that they play and it was a great sort of blueprint of what a team really meant. We're now um, perched just above where Grant Six landed in the southern stand. Um, That shot, you know, back and across, really picked the ball that Dale was going to bowl. Did it feel like it came out of the middle when you you first hit it? No, it was a bit high up on the bat. but and as I hit it, I've still got a vision of it in my mind that when I looked up, the light sort of um, you know took my sight away of where the ball was, and then I just kind of saw the ball go over the light. So then I knew you know I'd got got it good enough, um, and then it was just you know feeling of relief to be honest. <laughs> if anything, it wasn't really elation; it was relief um, that I'd done my job because you go from a lot of pressure to. You know, that feeling of, okay, well, now we've done it. And then the feeling of, well, I'm not going to be at my sister's wedding. And uh, we're into the final. <laughs> because your sister was getting married on the same day as the final, is that right? Yeah, so she, uh, she actually asked me, she said, oh, what about this date? And I said, oh, 
that should be fine because I've been told that you know I'm a replacement player and we've never made the final. So I guess the odds are stacked in your favour. Did she forgive you? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm not too sure. Kind of. <laughs> well, well, and was the match? I hope the match wasn't on uh, at the wedding. I think it was on after the wedding, like sort of in the afternoon. I think, yeah. So there were a number of people sort of wrapped around the TV. That that relief you talked about and and the pressure of uh, high end sport. So many of us play cricket for joy and for fun, and it can often steal that away from us. But what is it like? You know, coming into those final few overs, watching the uh, chase sort of countdown and that pressure on you building and the crowd building, was it fun or was it kind of horrible? Um, it was fun up until the, the end, you know, up until you get to those last two overs and then the pressure really starts to mount. Um, and I mean, well, as as sportsmen, we obviously have all these techniques that, you know, help us uh, cope with it. My technique throughout my career was trying to turn, you know, those anxious moments or those um, tense moments into opportunity. So just to see that, you know, this was a great opportunity. You know, semi-final against, you know, previous country of birth, and it was like that's what dreams are made of in a way. So you have to be able to turn it around. If you don't, I think you can get overwhelmed with anxiety and, and fear of failure. Because sitting down in the East Stand, it was, um, it, it was highly overwhelming. Um, when we came back from... I'm quite a vocal uh, member of the crowd and try to get everyone going. And when we came back from the rain break and, and AB had and FAP had started... Uh, you know, to dominate and score very quickly. Someone looked at me, I'd never met them before, and said, you've, you've got to lead us. And I, and I turned around, I didn't know what to do. And then by the end of our innings, as, as those final few overs counted down, my friends were telling me, Sai, you've got to do something. And I just, I couldn't. I was, I choked in that moment. And what are those things you do to prepare for that? Have, had you ever been in a situation like that in domestic level? Because obviously never on that kind of stage. Oh, never on that stage. I mean, that's probably the biggest stage you'll get in your career. But yeah, through the, through the years you have moments where there's, you know, a lot of pressure on you. So you learn from all those moments, uh, the times that you fail and the times that you succeed and what you did and what works for you. It's all different for each sort of player. So um, you know, breathing is important and clarity of, of mind. So the clearer you are, the more chance you've got of performing. But unfortunately, at moments like that, you're, you know, to try and get all those thoughts out of your head, that's, that's the key. And I think that's where experience plays a massive part in World Cups. And um, I think we had enough sort of experienced players in that team to sort of carry the, I guess, the younger guys through it for them to, to learn and Unfortunately, clarity of mind is something I only got towards the back end of my career. So I learned to enjoy my cricket a lot more when I was able to do that. What was it like playing against South Africa? You know, you're, this, you're South African by birth, Kiwi, uh, now by reputation, especially after that game. Did it hurt to put them away like that or did it feel extra good? No, it felt really good, to be honest. Um, I mean, I felt for them because I'd probably lived through a lot of like the heartache at World Cups where 
they'd never made a, a you know semi-final or, uh, or final sorry so um, they, they, there's been some horrific incidences that have happened during the World Cup and I could feel that they were hurting because they felt like this was their World Cup uh, to win so yeah uh, I think once the game's done you have that empathy and that compassion and respect towards your opposition so it's just a natural sort of thing and I think with the New Zealand team, there's no egos. So we saw it the other day with Collis Brathwaite and you know how Ross and Kane went up to him. And it's just a, a way of life. And also, I guess, the culture that's happening now in, in, in New Zealand cricket, which is you know, being a good person is probably the most important thing before being a, a decent cricketer. How has your life changed after that shot? For me personally, not much. Like, I'm just sort of... It's weird that I, I finish cricket and it's kind of like, okay, well, that chapter's done, on to the next chapter, you know. Um, it's nice to relive, you know, the World Cup, obviously this year, with the current World Cup happening. Um, but I don't want it to be something that, like, defines me as a person. Um, it's kind of cool that it happened, but it's sort of, okay, we'll park that and move on. Um, I do want to make a difference outside of cricket. So if I can use... I guess whatever cricket gave me um, to, for a better cause, because hitting a leather ball around the field is not—you're not making much of a difference—and that—that's what I thought. And You've it, made a big difference in my life, if that—if that means anything. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because that's what I went into the World Cup with. It was like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really. However, we do it's—you know—it's not going to change the world. But to be honest, you could see how it really did galvanise the nation. Like it brought brought us all together in that one moment so um, sport does make a difference but I think all sports people it's it's great if they can you know take what sport gives them and then use that to uh, um, to make a difference outside of the sport once they finish I think that that's their their um, obligation. Sport is a strange thing the way it has that power especially the the bizarrest sport of all which is probably cricket um, what is that difference that you're looking to make now? Where are you um, sort of working in, in the community and, and what are you doing now that you've left cricket behind? Um, well, I'm working, for, I'm working for Cricket HQ now uh, as general manager and I, I think that that's, it's quite cool to be able to inspire you know, young adults and kids into sport by using technology. Um, Can you explain what Cricket HQ does? So we've got a digital scoring um, app. Uh, it's been going for eight years, and uh, we've linked streaming to it as well. So you can get all grassroots games kind of video indexed. So you'll be able to see that, you know, your child or grandchild from overseas playing live and scoring their first 50, hitting their first six, getting their first hat-trick, and also be able to capture those moments. And we all have great moments in the sports field. And the ability to, to capture that, I think, is quite special and have that forever. Um, How is it? Is it captured by, you know, someone at the ground, potentially with their phone or some even more uh, elaborate tech, uh, camera tech, and then that's directly uploaded to the app? Yeah, so just a fixed, fixed camera install, and then the app indexes it. So you always have a scorer. So someone is scoring on Cricket HQ, links with the camera, and it just indexes it up. So... I guess that's sort of modern-day technology. And I think if we want to get kids involved in sports, and we've obviously seen a decline in um, participation, um, I think you know, technology, to use technology in a way 
that engages them and inspires them, I think is, is a smart way of going about it. So doing that at the moment, and yeah, I just, I, I think inspiring young adults to live their dreams, I think is something that I'm pretty passionate about. And, and maybe not just young adults, I think this would be a really beautiful way for my grandma to watch my Thursday night T20 league from um, the comfort of her retirement village. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to see the potential that Crick HQ offers her. It's been a, um, a tumultuous journey for Crick HQ. We, you know, the spin-off wrote a story about its sort of rise and, and massive valuation and, and then its quite hard fall. How have you come out of that and how, did, how confident are you about the, the way it's placed now? Well, I think there's a change of management and we've got uh, Cameron Holland at the helm, um, former sort of Parker post-production CEO and I think there's a, there's a good team of people involved. We've got the, the developers who have been there for a number of years, they know the system, they've built a, a, an amazing product. So I think, you know, the people that came before, uh, you know, in the old Crick HQ, the, the legacy of the product, I mean, it's amazing what they did to go from paper and choose the most complex sports in, in the world to try and change. And we've got, you know, over 50 countries globally that use our, our product. Um, so there's still a lot of people using it, over 1.6 million users worldwide. Um, and, you know, it's just about trying to um, put a commercial model around it. I think we've gone into being more a software provider than, a, you know, uh, someone who just collects data. Do you get recognized in the street? Grant, because our cricketers often fall um, under the radar. Talking to Mitch McLennigan earlier in the World Cup about the difference between being a Mumbai Indian and being a black cap in New Zealand, uh, that huge difference in recognition. You obviously have one of the most high-profile moments in cricket in New Zealand. Do you, do you get jumped in the streets? Uh, mainly in uh, Auckland, to be honest. But, yeah, it's not why I played the game. It's not like I enjoy it. I prefer to go under the radar. and I think I'll shave off my beard at some stage and no one will recognize me at all, so I'll be, I'll be fine. Luckily, I had a beard on at the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think any of the cricketers really play. There's no such thing as a celebrity in New Zealand anyway. So um, it's good. that's why it's a great country to, to be, be in, I reckon. That celebrity status doesn't exist. Looking ahead to the next couple of weeks uh, in England at the World Cup, we've played well but not our best and we've kept winning. Uh, how hopeful are you uh, for the boys to again make the final and potentially go all the way? Well, it's just one game, you know. I think we're in the semis now um, after that loss of England to Aussie. Um, so, you know, if we win one more game, then we're through to the finals, and it just takes one person to have a great day. Um, it's, I mean, once you're in playoffs, it's hit or miss. You can't predict. I mean, obviously, my heart wants to go with New Zealand. Uh, my head at the start of the tournament went with England or India, but we've seen England now start crumbling, seeing a lot of cracks. I don't even know if they'll make the semis now. Um, so I think if we, get, we can just keep the confidence up, leading into that sort of semi-final berth because we've got some three big games, Pakistan, Australia, and then England. If we can win all three of those, well, there's no reason why we shouldn't go into those you know, semi-finals unbeaten and go in with a you know, no-loss uh, record all the way through. And given the position we're in, I think they provide a really 
great platform to go into the playoffs. Now England will be feeling huge amounts of pressure having to play us in India. But because we've qualified, it's a, it's a great way to get ready for the, for the biggest matches of the tournament. Yeah, we, we could potentially play other, other guys in different places, um, test out a few players, which we haven't done. But sort of the media suggests that uh, Gary Stead will play the same 11, which I'm a big fan of. But we do have that you know, buffer. We've got three games here where, to be honest, for us, they're probably dead rubbers because we're through the semis. It doesn't matter where you end up in the semis, first or fourth. You've got to beat everyone to win, right? Just got to win two games. I, I would prefer to see in the format that if you finish top of the pool, you go straight to the final. So then there are no dead rubber games. Like, even if you are through, these still counts that you're playing for something. Um, so I'd like to see something like that, but yeah. And are you still playing cricket at all? No, 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 no. <laughs> I've played for 20 years. Right. I'll take a break. I might play at some stage. Like, I'll play the odd sort of charity game or played against the schoolboy 11 the other day. But no, I, I don't wake up and like long to put the cricket bats in my hand. I think my, my time has come and gone. It's a gruelling sport. It, take, it takes up a lot of time and a, and a lot of energy and, you know, a long time of your life. But if you're ever in Auckland on a Thursday afternoon, uh, the old firm Last Man Stands team would, would love to have you along. So just keep the diaries free if, uh, if you're ever around. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you really did gift me one of the coolest moments of my life at a, at a sporting match, and I'll never forget it. Uh, got a shout-out to Richard Duff, my very good friend who was in the crowd with me that day who tried to pash me when the ball flew into the uh, stands. You, you know, you created a lot of passion, uh, and, and I'm forever grateful for it, and it's, it, it really does show how, um, how exciting and how much fun sport can be. Yeah, no, it's awesome how, how it can bring a nation together. But, I mean, it's so important for kids' lives to be involved in sport, that health and well-being, but also the team aspect, mixing with people, competing. The life lessons it teaches you, I just think, are, are amazing. So we need to encourage all our children to play sports and, yeah, make the game great. And are your mates giving you a bit of shit about uh, how often you're wearing pyjamas at the moment? Yeah, well, fortunately, it's late at night, so not many people are watching the World Cup, I guess. So uh, I might just fly under the radar with that one. I, I don't know. Those ads are on at prime time times. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're nice pajamas, though, really comfortable. Um, I'm actually got to get into them later on today. So before before midday, even. Yeah, yeah. Well, Pakistan, New Zealand, you got to get into them early doors, eh? <laughs> Thank you very much for joining the Ospin today, Grant Elliott. Uh, it's really cool to be here at Eden Park and relive that moment. And, you know, shout out to my grandma who, who started this journey for me. And thank you, Grant, for, for finishing it. Cheers, Simon. Thanks a lot. And what I worry about, though, for the rest of the tournament is at this point, every game or almost every game feels like a must watch. Mm. Um, mm. This is going to be a really tight finish for the final um, spot in the semifinals. And I'm really worried about how much sleep I'm going to get over the next three weeks. Yeah, it's dreadful. It's dreadful. There's like there's a long way to go in this tournament still. Uh, I'm already sort of starting to get caffeine shakes uh, if, I, if I don't have my coffee supreme uh, each day now because I've come to rely on it quite a bit. 
Do you know that's the same effect as cocaine has on you? That's why you get those withdrawals. What um, it's why you, why you get headaches as well as um, coffee. Uh, thins your blood and allows it to move around your system much faster and to compensate your body uh, tightens uh, the veins. And so if you don't have a coffee, not enough bra- blood is reaching your brain. Right. And right. that's why you get that headache. So you've got to get that uh, morning coffee in you and you'll be, be you'll be good again. Yeah. No, it really is medicinal. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll go through uh, some of the permutations then, I suppose, because we're looking at... Uh, what's really for Pakistan a must-win game for them tonight against New Zealand. So at the time of recording, uh, that game still hasn't been played. So I'll go through where everyone is at, 4th through 7th. And this might take a little while, but Simon, you know, just sit back for a bit. So we've got England on 8 points in 4th place, and I think they're in real trouble because they're only two remaining games against New Zealand and India. Uh, they haven't beat in an, beaten India since 1992 at a World Cup. Yeah, and that they doesn't haven't surprise be, me. They and haven't beaten New Zealand since 1987 at I a World Cup. I don't know if they're going to be able to do either. So they're sitting on eight points, and I think the magic number of points to qualify is probably 11. That's where New Zealand are at now. Uh, Bangladesh uh, have got India and Pakistan still to play. They're sitting on seven points, so they could reach 11, but it will be very, very difficult for them to do that. Uh, Sri Lanka have got South Africa, India, and the West Indies. They're on six points at the moment, so, you know, allowing for them to probably beat South Africa based on the way the form of the two teams is going, probably losing to India, and then it's really a toss-up against the West Indies. They could make it to 10, and Pakistan, I think, on balance, they've potentially got the easiest run in uh, because they've got New Zealand, Afghanistan, and Bangladesh still to play. But they are only on five points, so they really, really have to win all of them. So it goes back to what you were saying about from here, every game for every team uh, in that sort of uh, bracket, you know, any loss is probably the end of the tournament for them. It's an interesting um, time to bring up the parallels between Pakistan's performance in the 1992 World Cup where they won and the similarities in this tournament where they both they lost the first game in both editions, they won their second, their third game was a washout, mm-hmm. they lost their fourth, lost their fifth, won the sixth, and the seventh game that sort of defined their future in 1992 was against New Zealand. Mm-hmm. They won that, the only game that we lost, and that put them into the semifinals. And that is yeah. the same seventh game that they play tonight. Though if, I mean, if we're going to hold on to any hope here, I don't see a way that Pakistan could beat New Zealand overnight and then end up as New Zealand's semifinal opponent. Because that's the other key parallel with the 92 World Cup, isn't it? That, uh, you know, uh, a semifinal come from behind sort of loss. Uh, shattering the hopes of New Zealand at the hands of Pakistan. Uh, that seems like it's almost impossible to imagine how that would happen. Because if Pakistan does beat New Zealand, the most likely outcome, in my view, is that New Zealand will end up qualifying third uh, and Pakistan will end up qualifying fourth at the expense of England. That, I'm, I'm glad. I wouldn't want to play Pakistan in the semi-final. Too, oh, many, no. oh, too no. many bad memories. Huge bit. And just one other uh, bad memory to bring up 
out of the Australia-England game, Mitchell Stark is good again. Mitchell Stark is amazing. Did you see that York rebuild to Ben Stokes? It's And when Stokes was looking like the last chance that England bucks. had... He was on I, ninety at the time, or something. Or I think I hate. Time. I think I hate Mitchell Stark third after Warner Smith and then Stark. I don't hate Warner. Uh, sorry, I do hate Warner. I don't hate Smith. I just pity him. Oh, no, he he's involved. And I, I admire yeah. Stark as well because you know. I don't admire any Australian cricketers at all, um, but no, he's very, very, very good. Mm. It's mm. Uh, alarming. And bowling, uh, yeah, lethal. Fast bowling, probably uh, the best exponent of it at the tournament so far, I'd say. Uh, I mean, he's got about, you know, 8 to 10 kilometres per hour on Trent Bolt at the moment, but coming in in a very similar sort of way. I honestly think there could be a tiny bit of mental baggage for the Black Caps when they come to face him uh, in their, oh, that will be the last game of the round robin for New Zealand, I think. be very exciting. Lords, Australia... Hopefully, with this opportunity to exercise um, any memories of the fir- that first over at the MCG in the 2015 final. Mm. So either way, though, it looks very likely that at this stage, New Zealand is going to make the semi-finals, which is very good news for our podcast uh, because we will be going through all the way until the end of the tournament, and we would love to keep on talking about our own team that we've been supporting semi-fanatically, more fanatically in your case, uh, perhaps guarded support in my case? Definitely fanatical. I I resent and regret uh, the way that I doubted the team in the very first episode. It's, it's unlike me. I should have known that we'd, we were winning and should have believed in the team. And I apologise to the Black Caps. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> um. Okay, so we'll wrap it up there for this episode. Uh, We're going to have another very, very interesting episode tomorrow coming out. Uh, Who's that featuring again? Ali Akram is coming in, and we're going to call up his dad, who was the Pakistan team's uh, liaison officer in Christchurch Mm. during the 1992 World Cup. They uh, ate, and some of them stayed at... um, the Ikram house. Uh, amazing. And yeah, so there's there's lots of personal stories about Imram and Wazim and uh, Javid. So I um, I look forward to deeply resenting Ali Ikram's dad uh, <laughs> after uh, talking to him tomorrow. And speaking of the 1992 World Cup as well, I've had a preview read of a very, very cool piece that Simon has coming out in the next couple of days. So keep an eye out for that on the spinoff.co.nz. 4,200 words. About the 92 World Cup. It's going to be, it, it's going to be good. I think it's going to go off. Um, that is the offspin for another bonus episode. Just really quickly as well, uh, at the spinoff, we've just launched a membership program. So that is where we want our readers to help support us uh, to create really good journalism, really good writing, uh, really good investigations as well. If you want to know more about that, and really good cricket podcasts, uh, <laughs> Coffee Supreme well, sponsorship. Coffee Supreme, oh, Coffee Supreme sponsorship know. of the Offspin lasts only until the end of the World Cup. If you'd like to keep hearing us, you know, log on to the members program, sign up, donate some money, and let Duncan Grieve know, Duncan at thespinoff.co.nz, that uh, you'd like the cricket podcast to continue. 
He's going to love that, I think. He's going to really love that. But anyway, uh, it's a very exciting time for us at the spin-off, and we're very, very pleased to have this membership program off the ground. And we're very, of course, very pleased to have the support of Coffee Supreme on this. So that was another episode of The Offspin. Uh, we'll, be be- we'll be back very, very soon. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks, Granelia. Appreciate your time. You're beautifully hairy. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.